We are indeed a needy people, particularly in these times as we gather ourselves into the presence of the living God. And we need roots that go into the streams that give life to us. The text I've chosen this morning from Philippians chapter 4 is something that I chose weeks ago, and I trust that it will help us to thrive and prosper in the glory of our Lord. It has to do with the peace of God. The peace of God is real. The peace of God is powerful, but it can also be elusive in our experience. That is, there's often a gap, speaking personally here, confessing, there's often a gap that exists between the peace of God as described in the Bible and our experience. A gap between the things that we we know that are true and the things that are currently going on in our heart and mind at the present time. Perhaps you know something of that gap. The question is, how does one close the gap? Not pointing fingers at one another for the gaps that exist, but, but what do we do? How do you close the gap? We know that there is a peace from God. We know that we should live in the peace of God. But the question remains is, how do we lay hold of the peace of God? My task this morning is not to try and convince you or to convince anybody who knows the word of God, is familiar with the word of God, that there is a peace from God. It's a peace from God that surpasses our understandings and it, and it guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Perhaps you've even memorized some of these words from Philippians chapter 4 in the past. My task is not to try to convince us that such a peace exists. My task is to show the path. To show the path to lay hold of it. Asking the most simple and basic questions of discipleship, how does this stuff work? How does it work? Now, first of all, let me read the warning labels. Get out your cheater glasses. Don't you love it how the most important things are always in the smallest print? You put on your glasses and it says, warning, this might kill you. (laughs) Here's what the warning Label says this morning that, first of all, that repentance will be necessary. There's no path to peace without repentance. If your heart is fortified against repentance, you have no path to peace. Thank God for the gift of repentance. The gift of repentance means that we don't have to remain the way that we are. But there is no path to peace that keeps intact the God of our imagination. There is no path to peace that keeps intact our obsession with self. And those are two of the great things that we have to repent of, the small God syndrome and our obsession with self. And so the umbilical cord must be cut. The umbilical cord to our our own thoughts about ourself, uh, to the world, to our own ideas. And Jesus says those who who lose their life are the ones who will gain their life. Secondly, I'm not going to say anything novel. I'm not going to say anything very profound this morning. There are no tricks and there are no shortcuts to the peace 
of God. There are many things that people use to try to relax, to try to find peace in their lives. By the general grace of God, there are many things that we can do in life to to find a, a place that is more relaxed. But I'm speaking here particularly of the special grace of God. And what's unique about the special grace of God is that it doesn't merely give us peace. It also brings glory to God. That's the point of this kind of peace of which Paul in the book of Philippians speaks of. So here's the main point. Here's what I would like to get across this morning. It's very, very simple. It's profound in a sense that, that it speaks of realities beyond our comprehension. But it's not profound in a sense that we don't know this stuff. The peace of God is experienced by seeing and experiencing the God who is at peace. A God who is at peace. Do you know that God is at peace? Here's what we need. Here's what we need to to, to grasp and to see. As as Paul says in in the last part of verse 9, that may the peace of God be with you, that, that there is a peace of God because God himself possesses peace. He is at peace. God possesses peace and he is only ever at peace. You see, our path to peace is seeing the one who has no path to peace. He has no path to peace because a path implies that you're on the way. A path implies a journey. A path implies that you're not quite there yet. God has no path to peace because he has never been anywhere but at peace. He has only ever possessed peace. God is at peace. Psalm 65 verse 4 says, Blessed are the ones that you bring near to your courts. They shall be satisfied with the goodness of of your house, with the holiness of your temple. This is how it works. Our path to peace is to lay hold of and see the one who has no path to peace because he has only ever been at peace. And there's lots of practical stuff that the book of Philippians brings along with this. And it begins with this peace of God. That's, that's the first thing to think about, that God is at peace. He possesses peace. And secondly, that it leads to a people who have peace in their hearts. That is the fruit of God possessing peace, that we experience that peace of God in our own lives and hearts. And thirdly, want to show you that this means that, that we are also a people who live at peace with one another. In other words, people who are currently at war with one another, like Euodia and Syntyche, learn to stop it. First of all, God is at peace. Let me expound this simple idea for us a little bit this morning. May it penetrate our souls. May it penetrate our hearts and minds and actually be the fortress that our heart and mind go into where we're guarded from the things that assail us so terribly. God is at peace. God possesses peace. What I love about this is that it's incomprehensible to me. I cannot comprehend a being that is so great, that is so powerful, that is never disturbed, that is only ever at peace. I cannot imagine something that is so great, so powerful, so eternal, so sovereign, so sure of his purposes that nothing ever makes him anxious. 
There is never a ripple on the sea around God's throne that is only ever a sea of glass that is calm. Now, that doesn't mean that God is indifferent. It doesn't mean that God is passive. Those are human tricks to deal with stress. I use those tricks all the time. Oh, I just become all agnostic. I just become all of a sudden, yeah, I don't care. To deal with stress. God is not agnostic. God is not indifferent. And God is not inactive. But with the turbulence that exists on earth, heaven is at peace. And how we think about heaven not merely as a destination, but as a place where God rules, a place where God dwells in unimaginable glory. How we think about that glory, how we think about that God matters so very, very much to our lives. I've said this over and over again, that God is not as we imagine him. God is as he is. But how richly we must imagine how full our imagination should be about God. Imagine what it must be like to be almighty. It's, it's incomprehensible, isn't it? Imagine what it would be like to have, well, what are the things that bring us stress? What are the things that make us anxious? What are the things that, that rob us of peace? Well, if I had more resources, if I had more money, my, my money might run out. If I had more strength, my strength might run out. If I had more wisdom, my wisdom might, might run out. Those are, those are the very things that, that make us anxious. And those things are ever present in our lives. And it's, it's impossible for us to comprehend something that is so great that never has those thoughts. Imagine what it would be like to be almighty. Imagine the joy of omnipotence. To be able to serve your creation in absolute peace. And to be adored by them as one who lives in and possesses an eternal peace. Really enjoyed the words of God to Abraham in the series that we're going through where God arrives in chapter 17, appears to Abraham. This is after 13 years of, of silence, of not knowing really anything, what's going on. And God appears and names himself to Abraham. And you'd think he might say, I am the God who is not in a hurry after 13 years. But he says, I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. What do you think those words were intended for? They were intended to communicate something to Abraham and to Sarah that what may bring turbulence or anxiety into their life does not exist in God. And he says to Sarah and Abraham in chapter 18 regarding the child that is to come, is anything too hard for God? God is at peace. I, I believe this is what the book of Revelation is all about. The churches in great, the seven churches in great turbulence on earth, needed to know from John, needed to know from God through John that heaven was at peace. The book of Revelation is a very pastoral book with a pastoral message where the churches needed to hear from their pastor, who was John, to say that while your world is in turbulence, you need to persevere. And the means to that perseverance is a heaven that is at 
peace. And the book of Revelation is for the church. It is for the church to reimagine the greatness of God. And John sees a vision of a throne at peace. And bookended on both sides of the epistles to the seven churches in Revelation are these words, I am the God who was and is and is to come. It's not merely a statement of God's eternal nature. It doesn't just simply mean that God lives forever, that he always was and is and will be, although that is true. It is something much deeper than that for the church to penetrate their, their minds, and that is that, that in the past, all that has ever been done is the purposes of God. And in the present, all that is being accomplished is the purposes of God. And in the future, all that ever will be accomplished are the purposes of God. And so when John lifts his eyes to heaven, his eyes are turned to heaven in Revelation chapter 4, what he sees is he sees a throne, a throne that is at peace. God himself possesses peace. That's why Paul can say, the God of peace be with you. Because God himself possesses that peace in heaven. He's seated on his throne. He's not pacing back and forth, wringing his hands, going, what am I going to do with that ten-headed beast? He's seated on his throne. And the calm, the sea around him is as glass. It is not frothing. It is not turbulent. The scrolls have been written. They are determined. The words are written down. And they are in the hands of the Lamb who has been raised from, to conquer the grave. And the fretfulness of the saints that arises to the throne like incense, God does receive. And he comforts them. And he says, just wait. Wait a little longer. See, peace is never nurtured in God. Peace is never grown in God. Peace is never developed in God. That's for us. We are the ones who need peace nurtured and grown and developed in us. And this is the basic distinction that is so vital in our worship. Every time we gather to worship or when we are, are, are seeking the presence of God, the distinction that is so vital between the creature and the creator between those who need a path to peace and the one who only ever has been at peace. You see, God is not like us. He is holy. And that's why we are satisfied by the goodness of his holy temple when we are brought into it. God is not like us. He is real and it changes everything. It is his glory that he is at peace always. And his glory is what bears fruit in us. It's what Paul is looking to nurture in the, in the epistle to the Philippians. It's what, what, uh, what is, is nurtured all through the Bible is the path for us to get to peace. But it is God, this glory of God, the, the, the glory of God that he himself is at peace that bears fruit in us. Do you know, of course, the difference between the roots and the fruit, right? Simple principle of gardener, gardening is if you want good fruit, don't focus on the fruit. Focus on the soil. Focus on the roots. And the same is true of peace. Peace is not the ultimate goal. Peace is the fruit. We're merely showing our obsession with our own self if peace becomes our main object of what we want. Peace is the fruit of knowing God. And seeing his glory and his great glory, his, his beauty that he shows us is his peace. Secondly, 
Not only is God at peace, but then God's people possess peace. This is the fruit. Verse 7, I'm sure, is very, very familiar to you. I hope it is. The peace of God. That peace which God himself possesses. That peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Notice that significant prepositional phrase there. In Christ Jesus. That's where we are by the power of the Holy Spirit put into Christ. Why? So that God could be made big to us. So that we could stand in the presence of the glory of God and see it in all of its richness and all of its fullness. This is where it gets very practical and relevant for our day. Many of you are not at peace. Many of you are terrified. Many of you are angry. Do you want the peace of God? Do you want to bear the fruit of a God who is at peace? Do you want to put away your terror? Do you want to put away your anger? I do. What could make our lives more salty? What could make our lives more full of light if it weren't for days exactly like this and the people of God bearing the fruit of a God who is at peace by having peace in our hearts that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 4 says, Rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Why does Paul say that? Why rejoice always? Because always is how often God is at peace. If there was ever a time when God was not at peace, then we could cease our rejoicing. God's peace transcends the turbulence of our days and so should our rejoicing. And this is where the repenting bit starts. Our failure to rejoice always is due either to our obsessions with self or with our dullness to the glory of God. The Lord is at hand, Paul says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Hearts that are not guarded with the disciplines of faith, rejoicing, thankfulness, prayer, supplication to God, and not finding peace of God through those things. It's not our hearts and minds that are not guarded. They're not not in a a safe place. They're, they're, They're not in a fortress that the peace of God is for us. And hearts and minds that are not inside a fortress, that are running amok in an open place, are dangerous things. Where both terror and anger have free reign. Proverbs 29, 22 says, one that is given to anger causes much transgression. Sometimes the Proverbs are very understated, aren't they? One who is given to anger, in other words, A heart that is not guarded, heart and mind that is not guarded, is given to much transgression. The name of the Lord is indeed a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are saved. The peace of God is something that comes to our hearts when it bears, is bearing the fruit of seeing 
the peace of God in heaven. Thirdly, it gets even more practical. That God's people live in peace with one another. I've been guilty of this too. It seems often that people who memorize verse 7, the peace of God which passes all understanding, it's such a precious verse. But we memorize that verse and we don't consider well enough the context. Verse 2 speaks of two women who are fighting. They're not at peace with one another. That the body, there's something in the body that is not at peace. And he says, I entreat Eudoia and Syntyche to agree with one another in the Lord. And then there's an appeal to, to help these two people who are not at peace to be at peace. See, it, it isn't automatic that because we are Christians that we always live with peace guarding our hearts and minds. There's a gap sometimes. Nor is it automatic that because we are experiencing the peace of God in our hearts, that we, that we like each other. See, the peace of God isn't only something for our hearts, it is something for our body, something for our relationships as well. And there's something that is indicative about our relationships, about what's going on in our hearts put on my prophecy hat, I, I guarantee you, I can see into the future. I guarantee that before we are through this season of intense circumstances, that you will be given prime opportunities to dislike somebody very much. Feelings and opinions are escalated. And an absence of peace will usually mean an absence of intimacy in relationship. We lose the capacity for intimacy when our hearts and minds are not guarded or agitated or frustrated and our words are sometimes harsh and it must make the devil smile. But Paul gives two very helpful reminders to these two women who are not at peace with one another. He says this, he says, I ask you true companions, help these women who have labored side by side with, with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. And the two things that the Apostle Paul reminds the church of, if you would have evidence of the God who is at peace, not only in your hearts, but also in your relationships, that you're on the same team with each other. And we should tremble at the thought of lifting a word or lifting a finger about another person who is on the side of the gospel. The second thing that Paul makes very, very clear is that we're going to have to share heaven together. Our names are all written in the book of life. You are not the judge. I am not the judge. Thank goodness. And there's something of heaven that should be seen on earth. In heaven where we will experience the unity uh, for eternity. Of course, that unity is to be seen. A foretaste of that is to be seen in the body of Christ where Christ is our it's a very simple and practical reminder that the peace of God is not only for our hearts, that it is also for the body, for our homes, for our relationships, for our marriages, for our friendships, for our workplaces. If our words are harsh, 
then it is a sign that the peace of God is somehow eluding us. May we see the peace of God that God possesses in heaven. May it truly enter our hearts. And may it enter into our relationships also. And may God grant us the new life that takes all of these things in the power of the Holy Spirit and helps us to walk in them, helps us to live in them for his glory. I'm going to close by reading another psalm. We've read a few psalms this morning. This one is very, very familiar. It's the 23rd psalm. Please hear it read. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Dear God Almighty, help us to be even now on the threshold of this great place through our praise and adoration of you. Help us, almighty God, in our time of need, moment by moment, know that you will never forsake us or leave us. May you be the God of all comfort to us. Great in Jesus' name, amen.